This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Are you a small business owner or are you thinking about becoming one? Does the legal side of things like incorporating and contracts seem daunting? Do you just wish you could ask an attorney for help without paying huge hourly rates? I know when I started my business, it was really daunting about all the different issues that were facing me on this side and having someone to go to and talk to or someone that I would know that would know what they were talking about would have been really helpful. And we are excited to tell you about a big opportunity to do just that coming up in December. Attorney Andrea Sager, a small business specialist and the founder of thelegalpreneur.com is a hosting a comprehensive five-day challenge for a flat fee of $19, just $19. What is the five-day legalpreneur challenge? It is an opportunity for our community of small business entrepreneurs to get legally protected and prepared for exponential growth in a new year for only $19. December 6th through 10th is a challenge week featuring one legal training video sent each morning, one live support call each afternoon, one downloadable guide for each evening, and a community to support you through the legal anxieties that all entrepreneurs face. This is a group of people that you have access to that I wish I had when I was starting my business, and this is a great way of getting access to that for only $19. Each day, the challenge will target the most intimidating areas of the law that are often overlooked by small business entrepreneurs. Daily topics include entity formation, contracts, trademarks, copyrights, and creating an annual legal review checklist. And five free downloadable guides are included. Challenge Week is also supplemented by a five-day Legalpreneur Challenge course that organizes all of the content in one place, forever accessible by Challenge Week participants. So even if you go through this whole process and you need to be able to get access to this afterwards, there's a easy-to-go-to location to find it. All of this for the one-time price of $19. And when you use our affiliate link at thecontractvault.com slash ref slash the MMCast, labeled, labeled, somewhere around my head, or by clicking the link in the description to this episode, your help support this show, uh, and, and we super appreciate it. Get your business handled. Thanks so much for checking this out, and enjoy the episode. Kessler here with a wonderful guest, Mason Clark. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm back from MTG Vegas. I'm a little tired, but I'm excited to come on here and talk about the the event. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, so for those who don't know, or for those coming back to this episode in the future, uh, the first, like, I guess not the first, because like SCG Con happened, but kind of the first what was a Magic Fest event has happened. Uh, post COVID in Las Vegas, Magic Fest Vegas, Channel Fireball put it off. It wasn't a GP, it wasn't a Magic Fest, it wasn't officially sanctioned by Wizards, but every other part other than that exact little feature about it felt like a Magic Fest slash GP. There were side events, there was a command zone, it was called a command zone. Uh, the yeah. only thing you kind of didn't get out of it is if you topped whatever, you didn't get an a Pro Tour invite. They're really 
currently isn't a pro tour, so I don't know where that would have got you anyways, but uh, we can talk about that in a second. Uh, but it otherwise, yeah, it was it was this big first tournament. I think Fort Modern, the Command Zone, and the Limited Event all sold out like three days before it actually happened. There was the 1,400 players in the Modern Event, 1,400, I think, for Limited, and then the Command Zone capped out. I don't think they, they expressed what those numbers were for the Command Zone, but like totally full. Side events were selling out. Uh, a, a resounding success when I think at the time there was expectations for it to be, you know, not to know what it was. And I have thoughts on how that went, but yeah. And and big thank you to Channel Fireball for, you know, sending me there and and uh, making all it happen. But yeah. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, you mentioned like the side events there. I, I don't know how many people do you think were there. I thought it was like 7,000, 6,000 people. Like it was a lot of people, at least on Saturday. It I, was think, I think they're saying it, it was four to 6,000 people were there. Because it's hard to tell because you can't like, I guess they might actually have hard numbers because of the like COVID test badges that they had to give out. Oh. But like, so they might actually know for like actually how many people entered the hall. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would be curious to see those numbers if they were, you know, post them somewhere. They probably won't, but yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting won't. to know. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to know. But yeah, it, it was super fun. I mean, like you said, it's kind of like the first public event back. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like at the SEG Con, there was some open stuff and I was there. But like for the main event, it was like, you know, you kind of had to have earned your invite online or like me pre-COVID. Right. And so it, it was it was a weird, very weird experience while being very fun. So, yeah. Yeah, and and like there's been live events happening that aren't magic related, right? We 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 did Gen Con about a few uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, there's been like there was literally the same weekend as this. There was a big New York anime. They're like the, the New York version of Anime Expo happened. Um, you had multiple like. LA Comic Con's actually happening in two weeks. Like they're, they're like live events have been happening. Uh, New York Comic Con happened in October. And so Flesh and Blood's been happening too as recently. I think Yu-Gi-Oh started up their events too. I yeah. have some old friends in that. And they've been posting stuff. So what I think are I think kind of getting them. Yeah, I think I think Flesh and Blood was really the model that led to this event like happening, right? Is like Channel Fireball did the first Fab event and almost I think like two weeks after that, which is it was it was uh PAX West followed by um the uh 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 the fab event that was the same weekend as dragon con then followed by gen con the following weekend was like september like the last week of august the first week of september the second week of september and all three events went off very well as far as covid spreader events they were pr like pretty significantly minimal on that level as well um and like i think the next week was and 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 scg con had already been kind of announced and i think like the next week cfb was like okay we're we're doing it we're there's going to be an event. <laughs> uh, it's going to be, you know, whatever they probably contacted the Las Vegas Convention Center. It was like, what's the cheapest possible <laughs> weekend we can do an event? Uh, and they were probably like, well, you could do Thanksgiving or you can do the weekend before. And they were like, let's, let's do the weekend before. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it, it is crazy. Yeah. It, I, I, I heard when I heard about it, I was like on a Discord call with a friend talking to them like I was waiting this long line at the post office and they were like there's gonna be a gp vegas i'm like oh wow like in summer nine months like no in like 60 days or whatever and i was like oh wow this is crazy it, it is wild i would do you think they're gonna do more of them like this like in the future so i, I would say two things uh, on on that one is yes i think i think regardless of what wizards says or does i think channel fireball will start to look to do more of these 
Um, is it going to go back to like every other weekend, every city in the world, et cetera? I don't think so. Is it going to be like some key? What were the most successful locations for these type of events? That would be my more my guess, right? Like looking at like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get one in Seattle, maybe one in L.A., uh, maybe, you know, one of the ones in New York, like there, there, what are the other like big Virginia, Georgia always did really well, Georgia. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and like, and you know, a London, right. Like a UK one or, or, or another one in Europe. Um, and like, there's like cities that have always been like a kind of a big draw in these events with regards to international travel that's happening now. Um, I could imagine CFB doing, I would also be really surprised if the wizards employees that were there don't go back and are like, this is probably a thing we can start looking at bringing back. I think this was a successful enough event from that perspective that like, you know, right now we are dealing a little bit where there were some COVID people that had COVID that were at the event, though not any confirmed like outbreaks from that yet. We're still too early to really know what that looks like. Um, but the vibe I was getting for the Watsi employees I saw in Vegas and just like tournament organizers at the thing was like, this is going off as a this is proof in the pudding that these things can happen and should exist and how do we make this a consistent thing moving forward yeah for sure i think no matter what there's just going to be like an mtg vegas every year just like as long as magic right. cards are selling that, that that event always does well if it did well this time it's going to do better the next time like i think that's just like an all-timer thing so yeah and, and like kind of the question is what do they look like right i mean this is mm -hmm. so michael who is one of our co-hosts has been on this for a long time as well. Uh, and I'd love to actually hear your thoughts on it. So I personally think that these should be actual, just full on conventions. And when I say that, I mean, it should be paid entry. Like, like you should have to check in with a badge, maybe even do bag checks. So you can get the little, like that way theft is significantly reduced. And that badge that you pay for comes with stuff, be it, event entry, command zone access, both, whatever, what have you, but just like remove. And now, you know, has, has, has uh, uh, vaccine requirements and like remove all of the kind of middlemen that happens now having this be such an open thing and like actually put money behind it so that they can be real events. This also solves a lot of the problems that were happening pre COVID, which were, you know, the artists, there was like a whole artist strike going on for like a good two years leading up to, uh, COVID happening because like artists weren't getting paid by channel fireball anymore and like content creators and getting cosplayers there and like actually putting a real budget behind these events to make them something more than just a tournament that happens to be in a city that's large enough that other people show up and hang out seems like a recipe for success, especially after stuff like Vegas. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, uh, this is like a controversial take, especially as someone that's like pretty spiky and plays in a lot of these tournaments. But I, I think like spikes get too much of the attention. Like I think we get too much of the pie, and I, I love that. You know, I'm, I've been saying a similar thing for a while now, where it's like it's unclear to me why it's not more of a convention and why like my entry in the convention doesn't just come along with like events like the modern main event right like if you make it 50 dollars to enter not everyone will play the modern main event maybe you make it like if you go to the main event it's only like 15 dollars something like that to play whatever whatever like there's a lot of things you can do to like make it come out to be the same and like you said with swag bags and things like that i think it'd be awesome i think it'd help with the growth too because i know a lot of people who are like 
who I like met walking down the hall, whatever, who stopped me. And they were like, oh, I was a little anxious to come here to begin with. Or like my round one opponent at the GP I was talking about how like this was their first convention. They were a little anxious to meet everybody. And like it being a tournament versus it being a convention, I think is not actually that different in practice, but in the like way of conveying it to people out there, it's huge. You know, it's right. way different if I say, yeah, I'm going to the magic convention than the magic tournament, you know, and I think that's way more inclusive and get more people out there. And ultimately that's better for everybody. So right. 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 Uh, like, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think like in regards to making it safer and all that stuff, it's like a big win that could happen. And then add that layer. I think the biggest complaint when this has been brought up is like the retailers at the event then have this issue. Right? I mean, I'm bringing up the complaints that we've now had when we brought this up in the comments. So like playing the devil's advocate, I guess, against myself. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so like a lot of people that sell cards at these events, the real reason they're going is to buy cards and mm -hmm. or and if you have people that are um the only people that are coming to the show being gate kept from that with the fee makes it hard for them to participate uh the other one is that right which is like oh now if you can't afford to go to a magic fest you just can't go because there's a there's dollar bills in front of it that are preventing you from going and that to me has more to do with making the value there for what you're paying or doing day passes right like that's the other half is if maybe it's $80 or $90 to do the full weekend and you get access to a main event or a command zone or X amount of passes to drafts or whatever, or $25 for a single day pass, but you don't get access to any events, right? You just are paying for a badge and maybe one draft comes alongside of it or something, right? I think you can scale it up pretty easily with what yeah. you get access to. It also seems like, like when I think about, I mean, like it's hard, right? Because like not every convention center is as big as Vegas. But if you ever been to the Vegas convention center, there was kind of two rooms, and there was kind of like the first room had like all the vendors and the command zone and everything. The other room had like the the main events going on. And I, I think like why can't there just be like an open area for people to come or whatever, and they can decide like they get FOMO, they want to go the other side of things and do that stuff they could and you could have like an open area and stuff like that for vendors for people just to like gather around you know and like enjoy magic and whatnot and you'll still probably make sales for people when you go to the other side and so yeah i, I don't know it seems like I, I definitely resonate and sympathize with the concern of like i don't want to price skate people out of magic who are like just wanting to go and hang or whatever and like even like 25 dollars is a pretty big commitment for someone who is new right but i, I do think there's probably some middle ground we can meet Mm -hmm. where it is much better for everybody and i i've wondered why gps haven't been more like that before covid and i wonder how much more they'll be like that post covid right so right. yeah well and so many so many of the flaws with the events go away if you do the solution you create new flaws because there's no such thing with no flaws but like theft can go away because you can easily create the like every backpack gets a tag that you have like the same way you go to an airport right here's like mm -hmm. here's like a wristband that is attached to that with a number on it and you get your little tag that goes with it and when you leave you have to show a matching tag and bag because there can be in and out checks right you have the covid problem gets fixed where now you just have to have a vaccine or produce some amount of paperwork that like from a doctor saying i have xyz condition yeah. cancer whatever that makes it so i can't get the shot but i have this test that says i don't have covid from today or whatever right so like you get more dollars to do stuff like that to make these events safer for everyone while then also being able to provide a bunch of content right you could pay christine and olivia and tappy to go to a bunch more of these you can pay for prof to be at more than just the las vegas one um like you just you can get more people to show up 
that people want to meet, you could do panels, right? Like that's one of the cool things about Seattle and Vegas normally is they have that big panel stage and they have panels running through it and they can't afford to do that at most of the events because they just do it at Seattle and Vegas because it's the one that is nearby where they keep those panel stages <laughs> and the equipment yeah. to do those things. And, and, and the people who went for the panels too, like honestly, like so many of them are just located on that part of the country as things be. So it's kind of funny. Right, right. Like if, like imagine being able to fly out Morrow to like, las vegas and have him do a full panel that he would normally do at comic-con which mm -hmm. like i mean at, at this point i'm surprised that that just that panel hasn't moved to the las vegas part of this experience being that that's actually the big magic convention every year not comic-con comic -Con. or pax yeah. east or what you know whatever or pax west or whatever so yeah it makes no sense it's like why are we competing with all these other things for noise for this thing that like in theory your target demographics really in tuned into you know it's like oh the spider-man trailer just dropped Oh, Mars did this thing. Oh, the new Avengers thing just dropped. It's like, why are we fighting for our own attention? Like, we right. have our own stuff. It, I don't know. Whatever. I guess we could do this and, for hours, probably. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and there's stuff that you can. Like, it's, I think, like, the point of doing it at Comic-Con is, like, oh, there's people that aren't Magic players that we might grab the attention of. Though I will tell you, every movie studio in the city has uh, realized that Comic-Con is not very good for creating advertising buzz. That's a different <laughs> up yeah. issue. But, um. Yeah, I think I think there's just like ways that you can play up these events in a way that makes them more exciting and maybe less of them. But you have them be these bigger convention experiences with large tournaments on the side. The other the other thing that uh, seemed to be happening before COVID and now that the entire professional magic play structure has gone away <laughs> um, is, you know, it felt like there was a chance that Wizards was moving pro tour invites that come from these types of events and these events to being less wizard focused, like have Channel Fireball do their own series the way that Star City Games has now been doing their own series for 15 years at this point, right? Like, yeah, a long time. And just give those give because I believe right before COVID, they gave SEG pro tour invites that they could give the people, right? And they gave Sir the. Like there was three groups they gave them to, and it was like Channel Fireball, Star City Games, and then one other. I think it was it was uh, face to face in Canada. I think yes, yeah, yeah, that sounds right, right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, it was um, either that or some store in the EU. It might even be a store in the EU as well. But yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah in the US at least. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. There was like a a, a Pacific Island area, or you know the the Asia Pacific Islands. Yeah, this is two years pre-COVID and like a year before COVID when this announcement was made and then nothing happened from it. But um, it would be interesting to see if Wizards does do these anymore or it just is like, hey, Channel Fireball, we'll come back with a pro tour. They'll be four. They'll be tied to set releases like before. You get invites for people to go to them and we trust you based on your status to give them out and we'll do it to these other XYZ organizers and then we're done and you run conventions now. It feels like that has to be the way. I don't know. Do you follow Smash Brothers Melee at all? Do you follow that scene? A little bit. A, a little. Okay. They're, I mean, so their company, their game has no company support at all. Nintendo actually tries to stop them a lot of times. Yeah. So, so we don't have that happening, but they have a lot of grassroots tournaments and a lot of stuff like that. And, Obviously, CFB isn't grassroots, but it, it is weird to me that we don't have more things like that. And when we, they gave invites to SCG to face to face to that store, we can't remember. It seemed like they were kind of stepping in that direction of like, yeah, we're going to take care of the big things, but everything else we're going to kind of like delegate to y'all. And we're going to make this you can play magic any way you want to anywhere you want to. And you'll have a chance to get to the pro tour. You're going to have to do really, right. really well, but you, you can do it. And it 
I, I hope that when they get back to that once it's safe for them, they feel comfortable doing it. So yeah, agreed. Uh, like I think there's there's like a lot of different ways open to them. What I do think what came out of this event is a resounding the world is ready for paper magic tournaments and a pro structure to start to exist again. What does that look like? Is a now a whole extra step. Um, but before this, if you talk to anyone from Wizards, they're like, we want this to come back, but we don't want to make structural re changes and hire people and building this all back up. And then for the, you know, Omega variant to come out and then re shut down everyone or, you know, have this XYZ happen. And we're now moving into a world where like, Kovic is more endemic than pandemic, where just like there's just gonna <laughs> exist forever, I guess. <laughs> I hate to say that loud. But right. yeah. So so that's 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 kind of that. So that's that's a little bit of like an overview of what the future of paper paper tournaments are. Really quickly before we get into an actual tournament report, because you did some awesome stuff at this tournament, uh, slash mildly heartbreaking, <laughs> which we'll get to. Um, uh, you have a trip. So so a thing that we do every episode uh, for those joining uh, and or those who listen weekly is we play a little game of trivia. Uh, basically, I. You're, you, you audience and me are making a bet. Uh, you can, uh, you'll, you'll be answering the trivia. Uh, Mason has, has kindly come up with something to ask. Uh, I'm going to have to answer it. In the amount of time it takes me to answer it, I need you to go down to the comments below and comment your answer as well. You're playing, you're making a bet. If you get it right, congratulations. You won. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely comment on your post being like, hell yeah, you got it. Uh, but if you get it wrong, uh, you're going to have to hit that like button. And you definitely, if you haven't, have to hit the subscribe button. So that's what you're betting. I'm betting you likes. I'm going to give you a like if you get it win on your comment. And you're going to give me a like if you get it wrong. Uh, and if you get it right and you want to hit that like button, subscribe button, also appreciated. Um, all right. So what is, what is, what is, what's the trivia question? So what do you think the percent for all-time closest top eight miss is in Magic history held by two players? So the, the percentage on tiebreakers that the players miss top eight by. So it might be like 0 0.18, 0 0.19, 0 0.001. What do you think the number is? There is a specific number and it's held by two players. Okay. Well, I do know uh, as a preview that one of those players is you. <laughs> that, oh my gosh, you're such a fan. I didn't realize. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to remember if you told me over the weekend. <laughs> I definitely told uh, your coworker because he condol he gave me condolences and I was like, ah, I got part of history now, you know? And so it's me and Joel set. So if you're at home, you can listen, you know, maybe that will help you out, you know? Okay. It's a so, small number. It's a heartbreaker. Some would say what, what, like, like what is like an average? Can you give me like what the average is? Yeah. Like, like, like one, uh, like point one eight, like point two, point three. That's pretty. I feel like it's pretty common. It's been a couple of years since I've done tiebreaker math. Okay, but okay. Uh, yeah, but like that, that's kind of the normal stuff. Is normally someone misses out on breakers by like, you know, thirtieth percent. Like you sure, know, sure, sure. Point three, point okay. four, point five. Okay. Um, it's a right, low so number. I've I've him and Hod uh, enough, and I, I I hope that everyone has put their guesses in. This is your last chance to lock them in. I believe you did tell me, and I think it was point zero nine, point zero three, point zero three. Oh, I didn't even get yes. it right. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's an insanely close. That's that's heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah. with, with that in mind, uh, how did that feel? So like you, 
how did it feel getting ninth place? Like, that's still really awesome. How did that happen? How did you get to the kind of that position? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I guess I'll work backwards there. So, um, for starters, it, it, you know, it doesn't actually feel that bad. Like, this sure. is kind of a weird thing for me, but I've been playing competitive Magic now for about four years. I've played other competitive card games before that. And for me, a lot of it is really about pushing myself and doing the best that I can do and trying to, like, always improve and get better at the game. And that's, like, a big driving fo- factor for me is to, like, always be improving and stuff like that. And so with that in mind, like, getting ninth at a GP is really good. I lost out on by 0.03%. If, like any of a couple of my opponents I played earlier won one more match or one of the last rounds goes slightly differently. I'm in top eight of that Grand Prix and my play was really good. And so it's not like I like made some terrible plays and I did these awful things and I like, and I ruined my chance at top eight and I, I killed my dream or whatever. I put myself in the best position I could. I had a lot of negative factors happen to me in and outside the game around that. And I played really, really well and I'm legitimately happy with my play. And oh yeah. I'm really happy with my process and everything and how I got here. And you know, like, this, it's not a, it's not a top eight in the heart, but it's like very affirming and stuff like that. And it's like, hey, we're going the right path. Let's keep this stuff up. You know, this isn't barring COVID. This isn't our last chance to have you know a GP top eight. There are gonna be plenty more chances for me to get this. And so, you know, I, I'm excited by it. It's it's seriously it's so funny. It was like my friend Ali is recording a vlog, uh, Mebo, and she was like, should I record this or not? You might miss. And I was like, you have to record this. I either top eight the Grand Prix or it's soul crushing and it's great content, you know? And it's like, <laughs> but then it was like kind of played up. It's like, it's not really that bad, you know? Like my friend Jeff top eighted the uh, Grand Prix as well. So it was exciting for him. And I, I put myself in the best spot I could. So I, I, I'm happy with it. Like, I mean, I could be happier, but like I sure. am pretty content with it right now. Uh, we'll see how I feel in a couple of years. I'll right, check back right. in. With you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also there's also in like in a, in a in a kind of way that there's there's a little bit less lost in this top getting a ninth place versus eighth place because it's not like eighth place top eight got pro tour invites and ninth place didn't. Right? It's just yeah. like I made slightly different amounts of money at an event where I still get to brag that I got that placement. And did great. And like proving that is way more exciting than, you know, the extra 300 bucks or whatever that could have could have like landed in your direction. Exactly. Yeah, 100 percent. So, I mean, hey, ultimately, I play Magic to play the games and to compete with other people. And I got to compete and I played 15 rounds. I lost one game of Magic across the weekend, including Commander Sick Brags, I know. And so like <laughs> as, I, as I one great... of those losses. Uh... <laughs> yeah it was a great weekend and so i'm happy to talk about the deck and everything like that but uh you know i just played a lot of really tight magic and a lot of really good magic and uh you know that and it turns out if you play well and you consider things you get a little lucky you can do well at tournaments and so that was the case absolutely all right so talking of the deck uh what deck did you choose and and then kind of what was the process in coming to that deck is the one you chose to go with yeah, sure. So I played uh, Four Color Control, where Money Pile, as the colloquial name for it is, it is essentially, like I said, a control deck that tries to wear your opponent out of ways to get on the battlefield and eventually win. So something like an Omnath or the Yorion or like a Ren and Six Ult. And I got here via testing for the Star City Games Invitational. So uh, if you haven't heard of me before, my name is Mason Clark. I compete on the SG Tour. I was on Team Nova. I write for Card Kingdom. I do my own podcast. And I've was starting to make a big run on the SG Tour. I was in the top 16, or sorry, technically 17th. I was tied, but I was got my invite for the Invitational pre-COVID. So when COVID, uh, they announced it at SG Con, I started testing, and I was testing a lot. I was playing all the decks, Hammer Saga, 
Merc Tide, et cetera, et cetera, getting ready for the event. And then this deck popped up from a friend of mine, Kane, uh, in conjunction with Canister about a week before the Invitational. And it looked very my speed. It looked really, really good. But there were two big problems. It felt like a deck that I needed to kind of know what all my plans were in the matchups, especially for a field like the Invitational, where I think people are going to be ready for this sort of thing and they'll be quicker to adapt than maybe like a Grand Prix field would be a week later. And I have to get all the cards, which was right, maybe the, right, right. It's slightly bigger. I mean, the deck is, uh, if you look at the deck list, it is extremely expensive, extremely hard to get. It's uh, $1,800 uh, total on tabletop. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, $1,800 total. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like a legacy deck in some ways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty expensive. And so there was a lot of like, well, that's all true. I think I could play it pretty well, but I feel really good about Blue Red Murktide. So I'm going to play Blue Red Murktide for this event. I'm going to see kind of how the metagame goes. And then post-Invitational, I'm kind of figure out what I'm going to do for GP Vegas. So Invitational ended. I regretted not playing Money Pile from the day before the Invitational to the end of it. And I was like, oh, I should have just played it. And so when it was over, I was pretty hard dedicated on, okay, I'm going to start working on Money Pile. I'm going to try and figure out what I want to if there's anything I want to change and how I want to approach matchups and stuff like that. And I pretty quickly came to a change that some people have adopted a little bit before that, but switching the Dovin's Vetoes and some of the more fringe cards main deck with Counterspell. And once I kind of did that change, my whole deck, I think, got a lot smoother and a lot better. And I, I think it is the best way currently to play Money Pile on paper. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how we got to this point. And I'll be happy to talk about kind of the more niche things about this deck from there. Yeah, let's 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 go for it. So uh, one of the big things that is different between Money Pile lists is the Spreading Seas versus Coatl. That is kind of like a big point of contention and Dovin's Veto's main and Force Negation mains versus Counterspell. Uh, I'll start with the latter there with Dovin's Veto and Forces versus Counterspell. Uh, and this kind of applies to both uh, the topics is that these decks are being played predominantly on Magic Online. And Magic Online, I think, is a great place for data, a great place for resources, and it's a place I test a whole bunch. But I do think Magic Online has one critical flaw. And that's the players are too smart. And I don't mean that like we outthink ourselves. We don't do anything. I think we're too good at choosing reasonable decks that are good decks that don't have like these exploitable weaknesses or maybe aren't like tier two decks. But when you play an event like Grand Prix uh, GP Vegas or something like that, there are going to be a large sum of players you have to actually beat if you want to win the tournament who are there and don't have the exact same incentives that you have. Like I think a great example of this is my Heliod opponent. I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, my boys came down for the event. I'm a local you know, I'm just playing the tournament and the Heliod decks, my, my modern deck, I always play, you know? Right. And if I have things like Dovin's Veto, Force Negation, Spreading Seas in order to really metagame for the Mirror, Char Belcher, things like that, where those cards really shine, you're going to lose a lot of points. So I really try to like build my decks in these open fields where they have a little bit more flexibility and are better against a wider variety of cards. So not Dovin's Veto and Force Negation, great on Magic Online. This deck is all over the place. It's fine against Hammer. It's great against Charbelcher and other Storm-type decks that are really a big problem for you. They're mm -hmm. good against Burn. They're good enough against Burn, which is another big problem for you. But in paper, you're going to play against decks like Yogg. You're going to play against Heliod. You're going to play against Merfolk. you got to have stuff like that. So that's why I have Counterspell and a similar reason for Spreading Seas. Spreading Seas is really big for, you know, KOing Hammer players or all Urza Saga decks. And it's really helpful in the Mirrors and the Blue-White Control as a way to knock out, like, Hall of the Storm Giants. But I think Kuwadl does a good enough job at being replaceable in those same sort of things while also answering other decks. And with the switch to playing Counterspell in my main deck, having a card that's more reactive, that I get to hold up my mana, allows me to make more plays and kind of sit there and represent more things on turn two. And early on in the tournament, especially, no one was really expecting Kuwadl and Counterspell. I got a lot of, uh, huh, 
from like people that seem to <laughs> know what my deck was doing. And I was like, yeah, that's that's how we're playing this weekend. So that that is kind of the big differences in my deck from the other ones and kind of how I got to those was just trying to I'm playing for the tournament I'm playing in, not for some right. theoretical like tier one metagame that like doesn't really exist in paper. Well, no, and, and leading up to this tournament, we've we did a lot of kind of like getting ready for this event. We had Nikachu on last week and kind of had the same conversation where and, you know, he came to the event and I think he top 40 with Merfolk and mm -hmm. um, the like and prof was on and and the conversation was paper magic is different than moto moto a card availability is not the same conversation because a lot of people have mana trader accounts i mean even if you look at here this deck is twelve hundred dollars versus eighteen hundred dollars b card availability in person especially right now where like there hasn't been a paper tournament in a while so people haven't like even me i had to spend all wednesday night like i opened up my modern decks and i still had like boomer jund circa 2019 and blue white stone blade circa two like one stoneforge mystic got on band i was like oh yeah i get to slide these into the deck and i think i had like four different swords in the sideboard <laughs> and i was like oh yeah like modern horizons 2 has come out <laughs> yeah uh, like does anyone actually own four like solitudes or does that high of a percentage of people so like and and you know even something we've said on this podcast i think someone has a better chance winning or top aiding a grand prix like events with a deck that they know in and out that isn't maybe the best deck in the format like Hammer Time than picking up Hammer Time for the first time and just jamming it through the event. Or you, yeah, my, yeah. My, my friend Jeff did that exact thing. Jeff Chow was the Infect player. He's my friend. He's Infect is, I mean, pretty assuredly worse than Hammer in every single way, but it's still really good. It's still really close. You do a lot of the same things. And Jeff is a stone cold master at Infect. Right. He's been playing right. it forever. And Jeff top eight at the Grand Prix beating i think two jun players in order to like his back-to-back -back for to get the win and in and that is not an easy matchup especially nowadays when their cards are actually efficient right and so <laughs> yeah it, it is it is a thing where i agree where like if you're really really good and you play really tight and it's your deck i think your chances are way better than playing something like money pile like merc tide like hammer and being pretty cold on them and not really knowing what you're doing well especially because so. every opponent you play is not going to be cold on it Right. And yeah. me playing you, if I was sitting at an opponent's table and I was like, oh, you're playing Hammer Time. Literally, I tested 30 games against Hammer Time and know exactly which sideboard cards I need to bring into. Oh, you're playing Infect. Oh, I haven't played against Infect since 2018. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess like these like ancient grudges or other artifact hate or like ETB hate or whatever I have in the sideboard do nothing. <laughs> and I don't know how to stop a 10-10 flyer that has double strike. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I think I think you just like gain the advantage and and kind of the tournament results from SCG Con pointed in this direction, right? Like if you look at the invitational versus the open. The Invitational was kind of what you said. It was like Murktide Regent decks, uh, Luros decks, or Kihiro Blue-White Control. It was like, like I think, one mm -hmm. non-companion uh, deck. And they were all like pro players that got the invite that kind of picked the best deck in the format and were testing on Moto this whole time. But then you look at the Invitational or the Open, and it's like wild. There's like way different metagame. And it looks a lot more similar to what this top eight looks like, where you didn't get those metagame decks, where people were prepared for them. You got the weird decks that people knew better in and out and knew their matchups and their opponents didn't know the matchup on the back end. Um, and kind of to your point with Counterspell versus Dovin Veto, exactly, right? Like that's, you're going to be able to handle the random Heliod opponent versus like Dovin's Veto, which just is cold in that matchup or much colder. 
Yeah, let me tell you. Uh, I started off 3-1 in the Invitational. First round of Modern and putting its black-green infect. Lost game, window to Gym Razor. That's when I knew. I was like, I should have played Money Pile. <laughs> Lost to the Gym Razor. And I was like, oh boy, we got a long weekend ahead of us in Modern. <laughs> you got you to be ready for them, you know? Even in those fields, it, it, was, uh, it was a wild time. No, it, it, so, yeah. it's one of the things like looking at this event that was most exciting was uh, which like, thank God we've been able to like Corbin kicked ass getting all of, kind of the Turner reports and actually being able to see what decklists were doing well. But watching it evolve as this format proved again that modern is wide open, like it, like we're not. Yes, Raghavans are really good. Yes, Urza Sagas are really good. Uh, yes, Luris is really good. But like it's not a Hogak situation. We're not in a Eldrazi winter situation where only decks for Modern Horizons 2 are viable. In fact, one, or did win, but in fact did well. Red, black, just like basically Jund without the green won the whole thing. Uh, so it's not like an event that kind of proved that like, oh yeah, Modern still is a place where creativity and specialty can be supported. Yeah, 100%. And I think the format is cr like criminally underexplored. And part of that is like, you know, COVID and like we're not having as many of these things. But like, I don't know if you saw Reduke. Reduke was saying, like, yeah, I think this Yogmoth deck is great. Like, mm -hmm. I, he was saying that's really good. And, like, that's a deck that a lot of, like, the the Magic Online's, like, the, the canisters of the world have kind of deemed as, like, a good deck, but not, like, an amazing deck. And it's stuff like that just hasn't been explored. We've seen Indomitable Creativity, like, Mana Symbol has been streaming it a whole bunch. We believe won a challenge, like, two weeks ago. That deck got, I believe, second yep. in the GP, at least top forward. And it was, like, that sort of stuff is, like, Things, all those cards are in the format now for a while, but people just aren't playing them. They haven't figured out the right way to combine them. And we've seen this happen time and time again in Modern, where there was a deck that was just there the whole time, like Death Shadow, like where there's these cards, you just have to kind of get found and figured out. And you just need the right person working on it for long enough and get enough steam. And I, you know, I think like the Domino Creativity decks need more people working on them because I think there's some real, real power there. It just needs a little bit more of a hive mind to kind of weed things out. And also, just like, you know, there's a lot of decks where, like, it is really good. It just kind of has, like, a medium plus, like, a medium minus uh, hammer and money pile matchup. And it's like, well, like, how many of those do you really play against, right? Like, right. you know, and, like, but people get so scared, they just don't even play them. And well, so, and, and, in a, and a Grand Prix, you're, like, it's not like Moto where you're like, oh, I did a five, you know, I, like, I did a challenge. And, like, every matchup was just what the cards that people were able to get, which is, like, Hammer Time versus, like, a Grand Prix, which is, like, oh, my first five opponents were the pet decks that they have because we're all, like, in the same boat. And I played against, like, Merfolk into Infect into, like, someone's old Heliod Company deck into someone's Spirit deck. You know, like, there's just people that just have their decks, especially with this event where you're like, oh, this is my first chance back. I'm going to take what I have um and see how well i do i yeah i think i think like when the metagame looks like it's solved on moto it doesn't necessarily translate to that happening in real life and even to like what reed duke's point is like yagmoth the yagmoth deck is the next version of birthing pod right like that's mm -hmm. that like birthing pod-esque decks creature combo rock decks basically have existed to some extent since the beginning of the format and have just always evolved to different combos and what works they're also some of the hardest decks to play in Magic. Like, Birthing Pod was probably the best deck in Modern from day one, but it took three years before people realized yeah. that that was true. And it was just because, like, when you play with eight tutors, every single card matters, and which cards are you supposed to play matter, and then also which card are you supposed to get in each matchup at each point in each matchup is, like, a lot of brain space that you have to learn. And so, like, maybe that deck is just hard. And, like, it's taken someone like Reed Duke, who is not 
bad at magic <laughs> um, <laughs> to like kind of put work into it and, and do well. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a similar thing like this top eight had no hammer time players and part of that was me. I kind of ate them all up in the last couple of rounds, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there were a bunch of really good, like, you know, I played Cedric Phillips in round 12, I believe, uh, while we were still alive for top eight and there were some other hammer players, but like, that, I believe that to be the best deck in modern, but I believe it has such a target on it back and it's so hard to play optimally that I was just like, I'm not even dealing with this. I'd rather play like what I think is the second best deck in money pile and kind of avoid all that, but it's just so hard. It's like, these decks are really, really hard. And when you're playing all weekend and you're doing Vegas stuff and you're in the loud hall, it's just hard. Like right. magic's a hard and people gotta give each other breaks more. <laughs> so yeah, it, it is crazy. Um, um so beyond beyond individual uh like choices, any other key things with the deck that you did choose that you want to call out or things that people should be aware of while they're playing it or if they want to try it out? Uh, yeah, so the, I, I will answer the question I've gotten a thousand times on Twitter since then is, how do you win the game? I, I get asked this a lot. It, it, the question is like, how do I win? Hang out and just go to time. And I get that if you just look at it, it looks kind of weird, but the deck does have an infinite combo that kind of shortcuts that a lot of the time. But the main answer is you are a control deck and just like blue white control, we get there with a solitude or a coaddle or something along those lines and we'll, we'll eventually win the game. Don't worry about it. But you do have eternal witness, time warp and ephemerate. And so if you have a Eternal Witness in play and you cast Time Warp and then you Ephemerate your Eternal Witness, you will pick up the Time Warp and then your next turn will start and the Ephemerate will target your E-Witness and when it resolves, it's actually in the graveyard once the blinks happened and then your trigger goes on the stack. So you pick up the Ephemerate and that's six mana loopy-de-loop. So you actually get to create kind of a, a Splinter Twin situation where like you play an Eternal Witness early, maybe you pick back up a Solitude you used to trade. Now they're kind of incentivized to kill it because now if, you, if they ever tap out, you present a loop situation where you actually kill them. And thanks to the loop, you can actually time warp. And then on your next turn, once you like play your six land, you can ephemerate, pick up the time warp. So you don't have to do it all in the exact order I mentioned. But that is the, the biggest way I win is I trade cards, I trade cards, I trade cards. Eventually I do that. Where I like play a Yorion and flicker a bunch of cards to draw cards and my opponents concede because I have too much card advantage. Right, right. Uh, th that is kind of the deck. And that is also the thing you should be thinking about if you're trying to beat this deck. That is the thing I've been asked the most is how do I beat this deck? How do I how do I beat these my pile decks? These Omnath piles seem so strong. I think the main thing you need to do is probably be sticking to a linear plan, preferably something that's aggressive where combo kills instantly. Uh, if you're wanting to like switch decks because your locals is full of money pile and you really hate it and more power to you play charbelcher or burn like those are really hard matchups and they're fundamentally really hard to fix just with how our deck is constructed we'd have to change it drastically but uh if you're sideboarding i think a thing that happened a bunch is that people over sideboard for me and they really slowed their deck down and they really tried to answer like they, there's a lot of people trying to fight me on like torpor orb for etb effects or like trying to mess my mana up in like weird ways with like spreading seas and stuff but like slowing their deck down drastically to do so or taking much more reactive approaches and my deck is like like the money pile variant is the ultimate end game deck of the format like mm -hmm. even in the mirrors we have to play Immercool the promised end as a, the only way to have a true trump in the mirror right so you try to keep your deck linear and that sort of thing um and if you're playing this deck just Take a little bit of time to think about how you want to sequence your spells and line things up. But for the most part, don't overthink it. Like if you haven't played it yet, just kind of play and it will kind of come naturally. And it's a lot of ABC magic, honestly, um, from like a control or a mid-range standpoint of just like, yeah, I'm going to try and line my things up as best I can. I'm trying to think about what the opponent's doing. 
and honestly, I think the best thing to do if, if you're going to play this deck and you don't have good format knowledge is learn about the other deck because you need to know what you're trying to fight, right? Like mm -hmm. you're playing against Heliod, you got to know what to solitude versus like just throwing it out on like a random thing. Like, oh, they have a Yorick champion. I got to kill that. It's like, you know, comboing with Heliod right now a little bit or something like that. You need to know where you want to put your points and where you want to trim your cards in the sideboard. And like, okay, when do I want endurance? Like, it comes in in more like than just graveyard decks. Like in the mirror, you actually want endurance as a way to like hold have these hold up moments and actually mess up your opponent's Imbricle the Promise ends. So things like that come up a bunch. So just try to learn what all the decks are trying to function. And I think at that point, you just kind of have to play the games. And uh, they're really fun. I mean, if you enjoy this type of magic, this is like a really fun like blink control deck that uh, I, I have a blast playing personally. Sure. So. But I also win a bunch of it, so maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is like this is some of my favorite things to do with Magic, which even you know, as a blue white or classically blue white Endor Jund player, mid range, I'm playing a lot of removal spells that also happen to kill you. Uh, is exactly what I want to be doing in Magic, uh, where like Ben does this, where he's like he's heavy in tempo and like is like always mad because he's like, I'm working so hard to get my like classically like delver three two flyer into play and like somehow you've just like done nothing but have way more cards than i have like how dare <laughs> yeah. you <laughs> um like how have you eked value out of like self-milling yourself with bad cards and now you have like seven lingering souls in your graveyard that i'm never gonna get through um seven lingering souls four <laughs> i wasn't uh, gonna expose you like yeah that, yeah you know? thank you thank you <laughs> a little casual magic time between me <laughs> uh but also like i, I you can just cast Fury. I mean, it's like, that's the point, right? Like all of these, all, half of your removal spells are evasive or extraordinarily large amounts of damage coming at you. Uh, I'm not surprised that this like has the ability to close the game if you need to. Yeah. This list it, is it's really funny. It, it, like in the match that uh, the last round I played, my opponent went like Inquisition into Torpor Orb. And then on my turn, I just like drew a counter spell, played a second blue land and evoked my Fury. And I was like, I have a 3-3 double strike. I'm playing Delver now. You know, you just have to, like, know when to do that sort of stuff and know how to fight through it. And, uh, yeah, it, the deck is very good. It When you play it, uh, especially in paper, you close out games much quicker. And online, this deck is classic for timing out because of the triggers and stacking them. Mm -hmm, and in mm -hmm. paper, it's so much easier. So often I was just like, touch my things. It's like, you know, I have a Teferi to play or whatever. It's like, you can't respond. I draw four cards. Okay, it's your turn. The only hard right. part is actually shuffling and finding all your one ofs. Sure. Uh, which is actually, I, I forgot to mention this and it's so important. Uh, that is the other big difference in my deck from the other Money Pile decks is I have one more land than everyone else. I cut one of the Abundant Harvests, which people were playing two of them to kind of cheat on lands and spells because they weren't sure. They kind of wanted 28 lands, they kind of wanted 29. Uh, I just believe this deck needs mana all the time. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I'm happy floating out. And the second thing is I cut Reflecting Pool. I love Aspiring Spike. He's so great. I got to meet him and his girlfriend. The, he has convinced people Reflecting Pool is playable in this deck, and I am so against it. You just <laughs> you have so many hands that are unlosable, and you have like some land Renin six reflecting pool and it's like wow if that was just my 16th fetch i could never lose right and right, so th right. That, that's my big thing where i just added two fetch lands to the deck and um yeah i don't know i i and I have a bunch of friends are playing this deck and we don't have problems stumbling as much as our opponents do in the mirror sometimes so that is one big thing i forgot to mention so easy to forget the land choices in right 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 i am playing slightly more of them and one of them doesn't die <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um sweet Uh, 
Uh, so, so I guess like what during the tournament, like we don't have to go through every matchup, but yeah. like what were some of the cooler matchups that you got to play and what are some of like the cooler decks you got to see? Yeah. So let's see here. Uh, I got to play against some pretty cool decks. I played against, uh, like the Asmorinda kitchen deck, the, like the hollow one thing that, uh, was kind of popular at the beginning. My round one opponent was playing that. That was really cool. Um, I played a couple of money pile mirrors, which were super fun. Because I'm crazy and I like playing that magic and I love casting Embercool the Promised End. And so uh, one of the cool things with there is like in the second round of the tournament, I mold a four and I win because I resolve an Embercool the Promised End and I'm able to do stuff. And so that was really fun. I played against uh, three Hammer decks. Those games are all really fun, mostly because I have been playing so much Blue Red Murktide that like I just get beat by Hammer all the time. And now it's my turn uh, to beat them up. Uh, I played against Yogmoth. That deck was super fun to play against. I always enjoy playing against that deck. I, I do think that deck is. I don't know if it's like, like Reed said, maybe like criminally underplayed and like a, a great deck, like one of the best decks, but I do think it's way better than the, the average populace does. Mm -hmm. The Heliod deck was really fun. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I played against a very nice guy on Tron, and that was a really fun match. Um, I played against Ambulant, actually played against Andy, who top eight at the Grand Prix. I played him in round six, and we had a really fun match. And I kind of got my start on the competitive circuit playing Amulet. So that's, I really enjoy playing against that deck. I, I think it's really fun. And we had uh, three sweet games. So uh, I really like those. But yeah, I, I played against actually, I think more tiered decks than I normally would expect a Grand Prix. I think I did the math where I was like, I think I played against like nine decks that I would call like amazing or, or good decks, you know? And I don't think that's normally been my average at GPs. Uh, and I think also this deck's good against those decks. So I got kind of lucky, part of the reason why I'm up here. But yeah, I, I didn't play against too much spice, unfortunately. I think the the spiciest thing I did play against was the Asmorinda Mono Red. Okay. But uh, yeah, for the most part, just kind of you know a bunch of good decks, a bunch of hammer, a bunch of money pile, and uh, some Murktide. So. So yeah, so so um, now kind of like on that note, want to just for everyone to go through the top eight and kind of like talk about each of what those decks are and what decks what we were looking at and uh and your thoughts on them. Um, so the winner of the whole event, so first place is uh Rakdos Midrange won by Edwin uh Colorin. Um and yeah, as I said kind of at the beginning, it feels very Zoomer Jundi, but just cutting green. Like you don't need Tarmogoyfs and you don't need term uh not terminate. Abrupt decay, etc. Mm -hmm. And just as like maxing on a Colgan's command, you're playing Terminate instead, Rogavan, Dragon Rage Channeler, Kroxa, uh Torok, Dread Cantor, and then Dwathi Voidwalker, which I was hyped to see. And then it's a Lurus deck, right? Like it, it is mm -hmm. the one that won. Um, but I, I do kind of appreciate on this that it did take these Zuber Jund lists that are a little bit more on the Urza plan and moved it towards like, you know what, let's just like let's pick the best cards out of this, go straight Luros. Um how is this A for a matchup for the deck you're playing, or what do you think about this deck in general? Well, I think this deck um, has a. I think the Jun matchup is not I, in modern magic. Nothing's really free, but it's sure. one of my better matchups. Um, this deck by playing the the Torok. I forget their name, but the Him to Torok creature, the two yeah. one. Uh, Torok Dread Dead Cantor. Yeah, the Dead Cantor. That card is actually really good against me by being pro white and kind of large. It actually is like very hard for me to answer that card. It it can outgrow a Fury pretty easily, uh, especially if they have two of them. And like Omnath can't block it, Yorion can't block it, Solitude can't answer it. So I think that card's actually at a premium right now. Um, I have some friends that play that deck, and uh, I, I see it in action, and I think it's pretty good. Um, and I, overall, I think this deck is a reasonable way to approach it. I think personally, I do like the Zoomer Jund a bit more, but I do think this deck has its own advantages. Like I just mentioned, like if you play things like the Cantor, you're going to be able to beat these white decks a little bit easier. 
where Zoomer Jun sometimes does just kind of get eaten up by blue white and by like the Chalice of the Void draws and the solid two things that this deck presents. So uh, it has its pros, it has its cons, and uh, that person picked their spots right and uh, they uh, won the tournament. So right. I also think like Dwathi Voidwalker right now, you know, t- before this tournament, we were talking a lot about how like graveyards just matter. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Pikachu was basically like, any removal spell that is trying to fight a deck that has Luris in the command zone, or not the command zone, the <laughs> uh, someone called it the Safari Zone earlier today when I compared sure. Ikoria to Pokemon. So the Safari Zone, uh, um, uh, like Dwathi Voidwalker just as a three-two that makes it so Luris doesn't draw cards seems like a pretty big beating, and then like is maybe, but but the reason you're not playing green is between that and Torok, just the mana requirements of all these double black spells or mm-hmm. triple black in the case of Torok really does start taking a hit when you're also trying to drop, cast all of these one mana, one red, red one drops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, like on turn one, right? Like you're trying to go turn one Ragavan, turn two Dwathi Voidwalker, and then turn three removal spell. Having to figure out how green mana and Renesix fit into that might just not be worth it. Yeah, definitely for sure. And the the saga thing gives you that extra grind, but you do lose out on kind of like the the aggression this deck can present. Like you just mentioned, like Dothy Voidwalker, for all extents purposes, is unblockable as well, right? Kind of like the way we talked about the camp tour. And so you do have a lot of draws against some of the better decks where they just actually can't interact with you. And and you know, Cantor comes up a little bit against uh, uh Hammer Time as well, which I think is already a pretty good matchup for that deck. But right. like a lot of its plays that wants to play on one are actually white. So like Having a pro-white creature there matters, too. I, I think the deck is quite good against some of the top decks. I think it does suffer against some of the more, like, decks that aren't quite at the top. But, uh, hey, you got to beat the good decks in the tournament. And, you know, this deck isn't so bad. It can't handle those things, you know. Threat plus discard spell is a pretty good strategy in Potter, no matter what time you're in. So, yeah. Um. So now, now it won against mm-hmm. uh, the... And speaking of spice, the uh, creativity, the four-color creativity deck. Um... This deck's insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is uh, it's very sweet. <laughs> for those who don't know, Domino Creativity is a uh, X red, red, red sorcery. Destroy X target artifacts and or creatures for each permanent destroyed this way. Its controller reveals cards from the top of his or her library until an artifact or creature card is revealed and exiles that card. Those players put the exiled cards onto the battlefield, then shuffles their library. A big key feature to this card is that it doesn't include planeswalkers so you can just play as many planeswalkers as you want as they use this to tutor in emerald the hidden generally or sarah's emissary and then uh you just play with a bunch of token makers yeah it it's very sweet uh that that deck is something that i've played against like a fair amount now and like i mentioned earlier in the show is i think criminally underexplored and needs to be uh, explored more in the metagame and i think it's really good i think it has really good game against a lot of those decks I mentioned before that aren't quite at the top, but also things like Hammer Time, like Jund, it, I think, actually normally does a pretty good job of beating those decks, but I think that's part of the thing with the Red-Black Luris deck, like, having the Cantor and stuff like that, they had that extra bit of hand interaction, and that deck does kind of, like, it develops, like, a I forget the name for it, but the crab and the clue card, that's typically their way of getting the uh, uh, hard, hard evidence. You make a uh, creature, you create a zero three blue crab creature token and investigate for one blue. Yes. Yeah. So like that card's actually a way that deck often enables 
its combo but does it on turn one and the black red deck actually is able to attack the hand in a way that i think the jun deck typically can't while still being able to interact with the clue and the token when targeted by creativity Mm -hmm. and so it's not surprising to see this deck actually win where i think maybe if they were playing jun they might have actually had a much harder time in the finals of the tournament sure Uh, this deck is super good and i i think like i said it, it needs to get explored more and there's a lot of different like some uh, i don't remember if this person had different creatures in their sideboard but there are different things you can sideboard for and like kind of hit that change the dynamic of the game drastically and there's a lot of room to explore like what creatures you want to tutor up where and how you want to put your points when it comes to removal spells and stuff like that and etc etc i I think this deck's great and does have like the backup nahiri package which nahiri is actually at a premium right now in modern she's so strong the harbinger Mm -hmm. and so i i love this deck i think it's great um, I really want to sleeve it up for like a local like win a box or whatever next time one of those come around. So uh, I, I think this deck's great. Yeah, yeah. It, it, something that's like, you know, Modern has had a few different attempts at creating what ostensibly is show and tell, right? Like in mm-hmm. Legacy Forever, that's one of the main archetypes of the format. And Modern has never really found its home there. There was um, Grishel brand decks or, or, or stuff that was, um, you know, using um, Gorya's Vengeance. Beach? I said through the breach. But, uh, oh yeah, through, through the through through the breach or Gorio's vengeance uh, to kind of get Emrakul play. There were the blue, white, red control decks that were just straight through the breaching Emrakul into play, um, and none of them have really kind of found. I think partially because of just the cost of those spells or the inconsistency of them, the like home that really exists. And even though Indomitable Creativity has existed for the while, the addition of Prismari Command and Hard Evidence as two different cards that create the token as needed but do so in a way that is viable like it's not like making and hard to interact with and harder to interact with right making making a zero three for one in this format is great (laughs) yeah being able to just block ragavan is a great place to be doing anything and then having an instant speed shock slash treasure token that then can be used is also really valuable yeah like this deck is like if this deck couldn't abdominal creativity couldn't target artifacts this deck would be so much worse but it's like okay What's your main deck way to answer a clue or a treasure token? It's like, uh, I don't have one. I got a prismatic ending, I guess. And it's like, right. well, okay, I guess you can. <laughs> but like, that's not a real plan. <laughs> like, that's, right. that's not a magic plan. So I think this deck is, it's exploiting some real weaknesses in the format. The format's really trying to answer early efficient creatures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, well, the crab is hard to answer in some senses. Like, really, that clue it leaves behind is so much more of a hassle where it's like, oh, my goodness. Right, I've well, gotta it's, find this Prismatic It's a, it's a two for one, right? Like you have to be yeah, able yeah. to answer the crab, and the the um, the the token, and like the only like good answers to both of those things I can think of don't answer the crab. Like like Colgan's command can't kill the crab. <laughs> it's annoying. Yeah. A zero three. So like you're able to it's stop. It's just that. the e. That's the only card. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then and and I I will say the card that we did miss that is also good here that makes tokens is dwarven mine. Being able to have oh, yeah. every fetch land find you the token you need is that last kind of little piece I think as well. So like just in between COVID happening and all these cards being printed, there's been enough good token support that's good on its own, hard to interact with, and uh, like lets you just turn your three mana sorcery into Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. And that's always been a good strategy in Magic. (laughs) If you're looking for like a green light to get this deck or put it together or whatever, I I seriously think this is the best deck that people don't talk about as a good deck. 
by like a, a wide margin. And I think it's just going to get better with time as mm-hmm. we get more and more games with it and build better and better sidebar plans. So I think I think walking out of this tournament and walking the coverage of the weekend, uh, the the Yagamoth food deck and this deck were the two that I was like, ooh, I might just buy build those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I need yeah, to get Yagamoths, but <laughs> otherwise these decks look really, really, really tight. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so 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 that was the top two. All righty. Now let's let's go quickly. Next is Jun Midrange. Um, this was by Nathan uh, Stower. Oh, the the player for the Indomitable was Stephen Perlman. Uh, but Nathan Stower, Jun Midrange. Um, this one was one of the more stock lists, kind of in the top eight. I would say, like literally, yeah. I built Zoomer Jund before the event. I like looked up whatever the MTG Goldfish top version of Jund was, just because like okay, I need to have one as a modern content creator i should have one metagame deck in my pocket to play against people (laughs) and and i already had i had boomer john so it's just like okay i just need to sadly take liliana and bloodbraid elf out and figure this out um and this list is like 98 percent what was on goldfish beforehand well you probably net deck nathan nathan is one of it's like him and bullwinker are are two of the big zoomers that are promoting this deck and he played it at the mocks a couple weeks ago as well and he is you know, one of the best magic players playing the game right now. He's so such a strong player and he's so good at that deck. And it's, you know, it's no surprise. I saw him playing his winning in match and I could watch his or the other. And I was like, yeah, Nathan's got it. And I like looked at the other one, you know, it's like, ah, this, this kid knows what's up. So, right, right. Yeah, uh, so that, that deck is very good. I do have a question. I wonder if you know why the snow covered lands versus the regular lands. I'll tell you why. It's because you have Ragavan and decks like me play Kawaddle. Oh. And, and so you sometimes you're going to hit them and you're going to get the coaddle and then you need to be able to like you know that way you can block and trade through Yorion. got it got it got it yeah. okay that's that's hilarious okay that makes yeah. a lot of sense there's like cards out there that you could steal that will might might care <laughs> yeah i really um, want them to get got by redain one day that's really what i want yes, some taxes yep. player to have like a main deck redain to slam it and they draw their <laughs> land they need and they're like tapped go <laughs> that's that would be yes agreed everyone that's it's time it's finally yeah. time for snow hate <laughs> yeah uh all right next next uh list on the list um and the the finishing the top four uh jeff jow playing in fact Infect's back. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's my boy. Praise Happy to, to see Phyrexia. him do well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff's actually, uh, he and I, my first big event, uh, we top eight on a team together. And we were both like, let's go. Like, <laughs> let's get into the big top eight together. That'd be sick. So I'm uh, super happy. He's just an Infect master. Sultai, he, he says Sultai Infect's the way to play it. I trust Jeff. So I don't have anything else to say on it besides that. But Jeff's great. That deck seems good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that that is one interesting thing, right? Is like before this event there was a lot of people playing black green or there are a lot of people playing like historically, this is a straight up blue green deck, mm-hmm. but just being able to play because of ignoble hierarch and noble hierarch, you're able to pretty easily splash just like the blighted agent and Phyrexian crusader. And one gets cast one and one cast the other. And you mm-hmm. just now have that much power in front to be able to get in there. And crusader is so good right now. I mean, fury right. solitude on holy heat prismatic ending are the four best removal spells in the format. Uh, maybe bolts up there as well because it's always so good. But it's like okay, that hits none of that. Like you right. cannot hit them. So that is a big draw to play the Sultai version. Right. Like the Frixian Crusader basically only gets bad when Fatal Push is like doing real, real hot, and even then, that's not super common. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got Ice and Quadles. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, you can come running. Day long. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Okay, so then you go to the top eight, and and there's there's two Amulet Titan decks, both by Levi Sprung and Andy Wilson. 
Um, I don't think either of them were specifically anything spicier than just like being great amulet tie decks and like showing that, oh, this deck still has legs. I think to me, the reason that this was the one that got the most in the top eight is partially because what we were saying before, Amulet Titan punishes decks that aren't the top tier of the metagame, right? Like if you're not Amulet Titan, if you're not blue red, because it had fallen off by the wayside, mm -hmm. right? Like when the format first started after Modern Horizons 2, this was the deck everyone was on the out with because Urza Saga plus Amulet was like, oh, I guarantee have Amulet now on the turn I need it every time. Fell, fell to the wayside, stuff like Hammer Time, punishing it. But it came back into this event, and it feels like partially just because paper, like the metagame is so much more diverse that this has the more opportunities to punish opponents. Well, that and these two are two, like, uh, Livy specifically is a known amulet grinder on Modo. Mm -hmm. uh, he's always doing well in the challenges, and he loves that deck. And it's like, I talked to him a bunch at the tournament, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's the deck I know the most, and it, it's pretty good. And this deck actually got so much better now with the release of Crimson Vow. I don't know if we were actually allowed to play with Crimson Vow cards in this we tournament. I don't think we were. I don't think you were. <laughs> yeah, but, but Cultivator Colossus is really, really good right. in that deck. I, I bought mine today for my amulet deck. It is insane, and that deck just got a huge power upgrade. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Obviously, put two in the top eight. And so, if you love amulet titan, your time is now, and I'm, I'm right there with you. So... Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think if this event had started on Saturday, it would have been legal. But because they made it they made it Friday, Saturday versus Saturday, Sunday. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think we weren't allowed to play them. That's really funny, actually. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't talk I, about I, that. I, I I talked to him. He said he would have played Cultivator Colossus. Yep. These amulets are wild. Yeah. You know, I, I know those streets for sure. <laughs> I um, actually played Andy in the Swiss. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Crushed him. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had to make him top eight. That's what he gets. He gets top eight, and I get ninth, and I get the dub. So, who really won? That's true. That's true. You can always. That's that's the thing. You 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 beat the top eight. You at least one of the competitors. That's right. I got my name in the history books when it comes yeah. to percentage. Absolutely. Yeah. He, mm -hmm. One of the two amulet time players, or the closest tied person to making it, but missing the top eight by by tiebreakers. Yeah. Um. So next we have the the four color control deck, and this is really similar to your deck. I mean, to be honest, mm -hmm. right? It's playing Omnath, it's playing Solitude, it's playing Furies, just like not Urion, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's the six card version. The Seaf really popularized. I believe that deck to be like the evolu like the the way you step up and actually win the mirrors a bit more because mm -hmm. you have less air and the mirrors are so much about certain cards and like getting them to stick, and you just have like I have these Kawadles that are just not like cards in this matchup at all. So while the Yorion can let you punch in the late game, I really do think that version is better in the head-to-head. -head. I think it lacks in a couple other spots, uh, and that's why I chose not to play it over this deck. Predominantly the spots being like those like Azamoranda decks and the Yogmoths and the Heliod companies of the world, but Merfolk you're going to have to beat. I think that deck is actually much worse against. It's really tuned for the top of the metagame, but still a great deck. And uh, yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a heater. I mean, it's hard to go wrong with the four-color piles right now. Omnath is... Truly one of the best cards in modern. Uh, that and expressive iteration. This deck's got both of them. Un there are definitely there are definitely times during COVID where and as us is a you know, we're a podcast that has to talk about this. I like at multiple times thought it was banned in modern. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of the era where it's like dominating every format and did get banned in standard. I was just like, Oh yeah, that card's probably was banned when Uro went away and like all of that happened, I assume. Um Nope, it's still here. It's still good. <laughs> it's really, really good. I would not be surprised if that card goes someday. It is. Oh, yeah. It is fair. absurd. Yeah. Um, 
And then the last deck, and I saved this because it is it is the other heater. I think I think this and Infect were the ones that like in our interactions offline or online uh, while this stuff was happening, the things that people were most excited to see in a top eight. Like, oh, right. Modern isn't just what I see on MTG Goldfish's top eight. It's like you can actually take something wild to it or a classic deck and Affinity or the Inheritor of Affinity is not dead. Plus, regular Affinity is still playable. But Hardened Scales top eight at a Magic GP. <laughs> Yeah, I believe they were in first place at the end of the Swiss as well, if I remember correctly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they did. I mean, like, you know, like, once you get to top eight, you're basically playing, like, you know, these matches Mini or whatever. Like, yeah, it's yeah. pretty, the difference is pretty close or whatever. But uh, I believe that person went X and one through the Swiss of the GP. And so, you know, they, they you... crushed it. And hard scales is, it's it's a really good deck. I mean, that's one of those decks that's always good. We see people like Dominic Harvey always kind of pick it up now and again for like a modern challenge and do really well with it. And it's just a deck that rewards skill. And it is very, very hard to play against. I mean, if you've never played against Hardened Scales before I and you're like wanna, going to play a tournament soon, you should probably watch some videos just so you have an idea of what they're doing. Because it is hard. And even a lot of the Hardened Scales masters a lot of the time, you know, like I've seen Sam Pardee and Matt Nass play it a bunch. And they have to stop and really think. And those guys are like the the creators of the deck in a lot of ways. So Right. This deck is so hard to play with and against and is so good when it's coming. And it got some serious upgrades, you know? Yeah. It got some cards that are really good. Zabaz, the Ozolith are both insane cards. Right. Oh, Ozolith, I've, like, got to play with that card a few different times in a few different, mostly commander decks, but uh, mm -hmm. also online. And, like, when it is working, it starts making math really, really, really hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <'Cause it's> like, <laughs> like... And like you, there's also like rules questions like, oh, so Zaba is when it leaves a counter, if it's a play and the counter leaves that and goes onto the Ozolith and then goes onto something else, counters get added through both both processes, correct? Right? Yeah, it's just like, like with, with modular, it actually doubles the Ozolith. Like it goes on the creature and on the Ozolith. Right, right, and right. So like now you're suddenly like doubling your Arcbound Ravenger triggers and it's like so impossible for your opponent to ever beat it. It's uh it's a really hard deck to play and to win with, but it's one of those things that I love. And when I first picked up Amulet Titan, uh, I remember Brian Gottlieb had said something along the lines of like, it's a deck that if you the more time you put into it, the more you get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true of like Amulet, a couple other decks in the modern, and one of them being hardened scales. Like if you love hardened scales and you're kind of anxious by what we're saying with it being so hard, just go for it. Have some fun and like yeah. learn. And you like the more time you put into hardened scales, the better you will get at it. And Trust me, your opponents probably are not ready for hard skills. <laughs> Is the deck criminally underplayed? <laughs> I've I've also learned that I don't think I've ever been sad uh, playing a creature deck that uh, ruins removal with Welding Jar. Yeah, <laughs> this is a good feeling. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. None of the cards you have do anything that would normally have fought me. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> it's funny. Um, the uh, the Indomitable Creativity player actually played this Hardened Skills player. And I can't remember for sure if they were joking or if it happened. But I'm pretty sure he actually Indomitable Creativity some of like the artifacts to like clear the way. Like sure. they were getting kind of big. Yeah, which is kind of a funny interaction that came up that I thought was worth mentioning. But uh, yeah, Hardened Skills is great. You, sh you, should, you should play it. Yeah, this deck, this looked really sweet. And yeah, and like Urza Saga, Hardened Scale, or Urza Saga, the Ozolith, uh, Witches Oven, Zabaz are all kind of like an ingenious, even Ingenious Myth, which like was really under the rate, or I mean, people knew it was good, but like is now showing up in modern. Like this is a list of cards that really, really kind of give it a lot of gas that helps. And I'm I'm excited to see it do well. And I love the white glintness crane, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, and this this is a little bit of the inheritor of that infinity shell, right? Like something we've mm -hmm. said on the podcast is like cards get banned, but the shells that are around them 
have rarely totally disappeared right like and and sometimes cards need to get printed to make them better but you know birthing pod-esque creature combo decks are still alive in yagamoth affinity is still alive here you know you're still getting play with your arcbound ravagers and um your your uh, not collected companies but um quarter callings quarter callings thank you your quarter callings right and and infex is still here right and you're still using your noble hierarchs so like i think that there's a lot of decks that people kind of thought maybe were just dead like oh my old deck that was my standard go-to has been classed up by ragavons and i think if this tournament showed us anything it's just go play your favorite deck have fun <laughs> and like you could just top eight <laughs> it's true. true these are some of those it, players yeah sorry go and i was just gonna say like i i think one of the biggest things people deck choice and deck selection is obviously super big sideboard selection i think is just as big but often like if you play really well like you can get really really far with decks that are not always like the 100 you're eking out the most point choice deck because playing well matters more than anything else you know like the thing i always tell people is like how many times has a friend come up to you afterwards and been like oh i would have won that round if i didn't do this stupid mistake it's like mm -hmm. just if you get to the point where you're not making those stupid mistakes, you're doing them less often than your opponents, you're gonna do well in magic tournaments. And so that's such a huge part of it. So don't let like, oh no, my hardened skills deck is like B tier according to Dominaria's judgment or whatever. I can't play it. It's like, no, go play it. Just right. like play well, play or diff them, show them who's boss. You can do it. Take take <laughs> take also the small advantage that they think your deck isn't good. So they didn't respect it when they were testing. And you're like, yeah. oh, I know how to beat Ragavons on turn one. Do you know how to beat a Zabaz on turn one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, For sure. It's it's a huge part of it. Yeah. So so um that's that's kind of it covering the different tournaments. Is there anything else you want to talk about in, in regards to the tournament or what's been going on? Uh I had a lot of fun. It was fun to play this sort of thing, and I hope there are more of them. I'm itching to play. There, there's an NRG going on 11 hours away from me this weekend, and it was very tempting to be like, ooh, I mean, what if I found a team and I played? But uh... <laughs> Magic, Magic tournaments are back, and that also includes the weekend grind of being a grinder around Magic tournaments. Yes. I did not miss traveling every weekend, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, that the like thing that I have to go to Ohio for work, and I'm like, oh, that's my first work trip in... <laughs> two years and now i'm like those are coming back too oh no <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> um but yeah so so uh thank you so much uh where can where can people find you what like what like if people want to hear more stuff about this deck or other stuff you're doing where where's the best place and there will be links to all this stuff below uh but you know for the verbal listeners where can people find you you can find me on twitter at mason e quark you can find me each and every week on the Constructed Criticism podcast. The podcast really focused on trying to help people take the step up from their local competitive scenes to things like SCGs and GPs. Obviously, those haven't been around for a little bit. But that's really the goal and what we try to focus on there. And it's really about a mindset of always improving. And we cover things like sort of like this where we cover events to more like eternal topics and cover things like, you know, sideboarding and how to approach deck building, et cetera, et cetera, and those sort of topics. And we've been doing it for a while. And so if you want to check that out, Check out Constructed Criticism on the network. There's a lot of great podcasts over there, like Drafting Archetypes is on our network with Sam Black. And so there's a lot of cool things. Make sure to check that out. And you can find me each and every week on Card Kingdom. I write predominantly about standard and historic. But as my editor said on Thursday before the GP, Mason, if you do well in the tournament, you can write about modern. I have a whole deck guide and sideboard guide for free on Card Kingdom. So head on over to Card Kingdom. 
click that link. I really need those engagements. I'm trying to get a raise. <laughs> just go in there, click it, let the page load. That's all I need. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, uh, the link, so the link is below. Yeah, <laughs> yes. absolutely. Uh, yeah, and links, all of that is below. Uh, speaking of links below, there is also a link to, uh, it's our TCG player uh, affiliate link. So if you're going to buy anything, make sure to click that link beforehand and then buy stuff because we get some amount of credit for that. Um, and uh, make sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash cast. It's how we make this happen. Uh, there's also links to the Discord and Facebook. One big thing is if you were an audio listener and you want to like see the cards we're talking about, because sometimes we're not the best at saying what cartons do uh this show is on youtube uh youtube.com slash the mmcast we don't shout that as much because often we're talking as if that's the main watcher but we have a lot of audio listeners youtube does really good numbers there there's also special content we have a bunch of deck techs from the weekend uh that are like a minute or a minute and a half created by corbin hostler as he was doing coverage plus uh just uh videos of the top eight and all that stuff so make sure to check all of that out on the youtube.com slash the slash the mmcast uh and then last but not least we are doing uh Starting soon, we did our pilot. We did a, a Sunday uh, afternoon modern stream where we're going to have guests. Ben is going to play against them. But most of the time, I'll, I'll do it as well. Uh, as Ben is recovering, we're figuring out how we're continuing it uh, in the interim. But the plan is starting uh, this December to do that on a weekly basis. So beyond just the modern content or the, the commander stream every Monday night, the uh, podcast coming out every Tuesday, the early access to the podcast coming out every Thursday, uh, that modern content is now every Sunday. So definitely make sure to subscribe to both Twitch and YouTube stream to both places to see that. And thank you so much, Mason, for joining. It was great. It was great having you. Thank you for having me so much. It was a blast. It's funny. Uh, I, you know, I, I hope Ben's recovering well. I, I know him from movie podcasting stuff. And so it's it's like, you know, the cross of my two worlds or whatever. But uh, yeah, I hope he's doing well. And thank you for having me on so much. It was a blast to come on the show. And hopefully everyone had a good time. Absolutely. It's always, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, at some point I need to, like, actually play Commander against you and not get smoked like you did over the weekend. <laughs> well, to be fair, a lot of people got smoked over the weekend. So, you know, you, you were in good company. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.